Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. week three of a series in the life of our church all about the idea of discipleship. And I want you to journey back in time with me now for just a moment um, to the year that you graduated high school. Now, for many of you, you're like, that day is yet to come. Um, And we celebrate that in you today. For some of you, it's coming up in just a few short months. Um, For some of you, it's still coming up middle school, high school in a matter of years. But for most of us in this room, we have Walked through this milestone last year in 2016. I celebrated what would have been like from afar. I didn't actually go to the party. I think we did have one. Um, My 20-year high school reunion. And um, go Independence Patriots. Um, And so we're thinking about that moment. But you know the pages in your yearbook where it listed these items called senior superlatives. Now, some of you in this room, you're nodding, you're elbowing the person next to you because you, you won one of those. Um, some of you are immediately angered because the people in your class that were designated as some of those you felt did not deserve the honor. Um, but, like, so most likely to succeed. I mean, where are those people now? I don't know. Um, like, best looking Maybe it still rings true today. Maybe not. I don't know. We all let ourselves go from time to time. Um, Maybe it's things like cutest couple. They didn't make it past senior week. I don't know. Like, what are the things that, like, most likely to be on People magazine, most likely to be on America's Most Wanted? I don't know. But you can think through what some of those things are. And maybe for just a second, scope out the people around you. Just kind of look around and be like, I bet they were best looking girl. And if you need to make a connection at some point during the service, we won't judge. Um, I, you know, there's none of that here. Um, maybe you're looking around and be like, oh, best dressed for sure. I haven't even seen all of the other people this morning, but I know that they probably are it. I don't know what the senior superlatives were in your high school, and, and I don't necessarily know what they are today. But I'm going to kick off this morning with a passage of Scripture that, in my mind, goes right along with that. Uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 16 today. If you get to 1 Corinthians, you've gone too far because Romans chapter 16 is the last chapter in that book. And Paul, 
finishes out what is maybe one of the most difficult passages of Scripture written and sums it up with a list of names. And because I like punishment, I thought I would go through that passage with you today and attempt to pronounce said list of names. It's, it's the superlatives of the early church. It's people whose lives made a difference. And if you're somebody who's liking to fill in blanks this morning and journey along with us through whatever notes have been provided for you today, these are the people who shared Paul's mission. And we've talked in the life of our church over the past couple of weeks about what it means to be a disciple of uh, a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we've defined that as a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, not just Jesus, because we're not just following some great teacher who lived a long time ago. We're not just following somebody who miraculously did things a long time ago. We're following the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who was God, who came to give his life as a ransom. We're going to talk about that later, so that we might be saved and have a, a fellowship relationship with God. We're following Christ. And what is a growing follower of Jesus Christ? It's a believer who's taking intentional steps towards Christ-likeness. We're not saved just so that we could spend eternity with him. We're saved so that we could become like him. And so it's an, a, a believer who's taking intentional steps towards Christ-likeness and, not just or, but and inviting others to do the same. This list of names that we read in Romans chapter 16, these were growing followers of Jesus Christ, who, who daily were taking intentional steps towards Christ-likeness and also inviting others to do the same. And we kick it off where Paul says, I commend to you, verse 1, our sister Phoebe, a, a servant, and you could stop right there because that word servant in the Greek language is the word diakonos, and it literally, it's where we get the word deacon. Like this word, this lady is a servant. She's a servant of the church at Sencrea, and that is a, a port city of Corinth. So when you read Corinthians, you know that that's where she was a native of, and she probably became a believer in Jesus Christ during one of Paul's missionary journeys there, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a phenomenal believer in Jesus Christ. We, we know from history that she was likely the one who carried the letter from Paul to Roman believers. And verse 3, it goes on to say, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. In other parts of Scripture where they're mentioned, you get Priscilla and Aquila. It's this married couple that hosted Paul on occasion. They were likely tent makers, just like he was. They were driven from Rome by Claudius, and they went to Corinth, and then Ephesus, and then back to Rome eventually. And they were people who worked and served the Lord in the life of Christ. And they they were people who hosted a church in their home. How do we know that? Because he says, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. These were people that were well known. Greet also the church in their house. They were people who hosted believers in Jesus to come together to learn more about Christ. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Can you imagine being the first convert? person among not just your family, but the first person in all of your town, the first per this is a continent, friends, a first person to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Greet Mary, who thankful for that name, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, or Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow 
prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. These are people that knew Jesus and were following him before I even got there. That's what Paul tells us. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. He calls a couple of people beloved. These are incredible friends of his. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. And I love this one because it, it hearkens us to another book, Second Timothy, that Paul wrote. And in chapter 3, verse 15, it says something incredible. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so I read this and I think, wow, what if Apelles was one of those guys? Approved and not ashamed, who rightly handled this word of truth and communicating it to others. It says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, greet those who belong to the family. Well, why didn't we just greet him? Well, maybe he wasn't a believer or maybe he was already passed on and his family was left behind. History records for us that he was probably a descendant of one of the Herods great kings of the Jews, and, and I'm sitting here going, wow, this is nobility, and his whole family was in Christ. It says, greet my kinsman Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa, these are likely twin sisters, and their names mean delicate and dainty. I don't know why that's important, but I found it out, and I thought I'd tell you. It says, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And I love this because Mark 15 tells us that the sons of Simon the Cyrene were named Alexander and Rufus. And we don't know if this was the same Rufus. Maybe it was a very common name like, I don't know, John or Mark. But in and of itself, it would be really neat to me, at least, to think that this Rufus mentioned here in Romans chapter 16 was the grown-up version of Rufus, a little boy who saw his dad pick up the cross of Jesus and carry it on the way to the mountain where he was crucified. And I'm going, wow, can you imagine if that, my dad carried the cross. What if it is? Regardless of whether or not it's the same Rufus, this guy warrants a mention in Romans chapter 16. It's Paul's senior superlatives of people who further the cause of Christ in this generation, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. The word greet comes up about 16 times in this passage. And it doesn't just mean, hey, what's up? It doesn't just mean, you know, our designated folks who are around the building to greet you and new guests on a Sunday morning to make them feel welcome and to show them where to go. It's literally a sign of respect. Paul is inviting believers in Rome that whenever you encounter one of the names that he mentioned to greet them with honor and courtesy and respect because these are fellow workers of his for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on, if you skip down to verse 21, to say, Timothy, there's a name that we recognize, my fellow worker, he greets you. So it's not me just inviting you to bid greetings to all of these believers, but it's also me sending you greetings from other believers, like Timothy. He says, hey, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, that's awesome because you mean that like Paul, he's got like a secretary sitting there recording the words that he's saying as he's pronouncing them out loud. I, Tertius, that literally means three, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So does Gaius, who is host to me. Okay, Gaius, he's staying in Gaius' house. Why is this important? Because in the first Corinthians, we learn that Gaius was one of the early believers in Jesus Christ in that town whom Paul baptized. It'd be neat if we could be baptized by Paul. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus, that means four, they also greet you. It's, it's remarkable to me 
that, that this book, the book of Romans, if you've studied it at all, you know that it is arguably the, the, the most in-depth of all the books in the New Testament, maybe even the most theological of the entire Bible, that out of all of that, Paul's statement of faith, Heather Zimple, she is a discipleship pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., she says it's remarkable that at the end of his statement of faith, Paul concludes it with a list of names. It's like senior superlatives. And it, did you notice this? It's both men and women. It's wealthy aristocracy, it's nobility, but it's also poor common people. It's also Jew and Greek alike that God was calling together for himself a family that would represent him to the world. And these are the names and they all get named because they shared Paul's mission. I wish that we had more recorded stories. For some of these people, they find their names mentioned in other books of Scripture, in Acts, or in Corinthians, or in Ephesians, or in First or Second Timothy, and you can get more details from specific stories. But for some of them, their only mention is right here. But these would have been household names in the life of the church. It's like me telling you that if Billy Graham comes over for coffee, be respectful and courteous. These are the names the names of people who shared the mission of Paul because the New Testament, although we attribute much of it to that specific apostle, it wasn't written in a vacuum. It was carved on the backs of people who served. If a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus Christ taking intentional steps towards Christ's likeness and inviting others to do the same, what is it that these people did in any of those respects that would warrant them mention in this book, but not only in this book, but in a memoir of a missionary marvel like Paul. I think a baseline description for us could go all the way back to the book of Acts chapter 2. And if you want to turn there, great. If not, words are going to appear on your screen or on your mobile device that will help you follow along. Because these disciples in Jesus Christ, I think uh, just at, like the lowest common denominator description that we could say for these folks is that they devoted themselves to the mission of the church. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 2. It says, so those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Whoa, how long the Bible would be if we had to mention all of them by name. And they, underline that word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, all 3,000 plus of them. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, the teachers, the leaders of the early church. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What were they doing? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The mission of the church is being furthered. Why? Because these people are devoted. These people are passionate. These people are committed. That word devoted in Acts chapter 2, it's the word proskar tereo, and it literally means this. I love looking up these words because I think we can learn a lot from them. It says, to continue all the time in a place to show one's self courageous. And these committed believers had to be courageous because they were under persecution, not only from the Roman government, but also their own Jewish people. They literally had to be courageous in this moment. And so it would take a certain amount of devotion in order to stand up against that for the cause of Christ. And the other part of the definition says this, to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to a thing. And I love a definition that's so deep that you actually have to go look up the words that are listed in the definition because you don't understand what they mean either. I had to actually go look up the word unremitting. It means never relaxing or slacking, incessant. These people got it, and they devoted their lives to it. 
When you and I talk about discipleship, when we talk about growing up in Jesus, what we're often talking about is an outcome, some sort of derived outcome in our lives. Like we want there to be something happening in us and to us and around us because we're learning how to follow Jesus. And because we're human, we want that outcome to be beneficial, right? Like we want that outcome to be good for us. So discipleship should be a good thing for me. And if I'm not being discipled, then that means I'm somehow missing out on something and I need to go find it elsewhere because I want to grow up in Christ because if I grow up in Christ, I'm going to be benefited. It's just human nature. When people talk about discipleship, they're often talking about an outcome, that there ought to be some benefit for daily knowing and following Jesus Christ. And those benefits ought to always be up and to the right. They ought to always be improving so that if I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday, then my life ought to somehow show it, some sort of benefit for following Jesus. What we forget is that the greatest benefit in our life of following Jesus is the benefit that it provides to others by Jesus through you. This is a statement that we would all do really well to memorize. It's not a Bible verse. I wrote it in here and I'm sharing it today with Pastor Jason because he's teaching it at our Nolansville campus and it makes so much sense to me. It's this, the benefits that one enjoys as a follower of Christ are directly linked to the responsibility one shares for the body of Christ. You got to unpack that to make it make sense. The benefits that we enjoy as a follower of Christ are directly linked to the responsibilities that we share for the body of Christ. It's human nature and it's economic desire. We all want the biggest payoff for the least amount of effort and the lowest overall risk. We, we want that in our work. But what we do understand is a, a law of return that working hard and taking risks tends to pay higher dividends. Well, spiritually, that That may be true as well. The only time in your life when the benefits that you enjoy are not directly related to the responsibilities that you share are when you're an infant. That's right, like an infant. They literally get to enjoy all of the benefits of being part of a family with none of the responsibilities to bear. When you're five months old and you demand all of the benefits but you share none of the responsibility, it's A, expected, and we even call it cute. But when you're 14, 40, and you still demand all of the benefits of being a part of the family but share none of the responsibility, we no longer find it cute. It's annoying. And we'll probably call you a brat. Like it just, it's not the same in our spiritual growth. I want to be incredibly careful here. I I want to speak a really clear word, and it's a word about salvation, and to get it wrong would be mishandling this, and I don't want to be guilty of mishandling this. If you go back to the verses that we stopped at in Romans chapter 16, and you pick up in 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Like when it comes to Prisca and Aquila and Gaius and Herodian and Aristobulus and Apelles and Hermas and Hermas, like when these people, I want you to greet them and be excited to greet them but when it comes to these unnamed folks and here's the deal, 
Paul didn't list names in 17 through 19, but my hunch is everybody knew what names he was talking about. The people who divided, the people who didn't rightly parse this word of truth. And I want to be incredible help incredibly helpful and incredibly careful here because I think that somehow holding this word is like holding an egg. And if you're not careful, you could drop it and it could break and there would be a mess all over the stage and there would be salmonella and poison us all. Like it would just be dangerous. And I want to be super clear. We do not work for our salvation in Christ. There's nothing works-based about it. That's not an invitation to be lazy. It's not an invitation to take time off, it's really just a recognition that there is no amount of work or no amount of effort that we could ever do that would warrant our lives being forgiven of the sins that we've committed before a holy and righteous God and be invited into his family. There is nothing we could do to earn the salvation that we have received, who, whoever we are, only from Christ. Nothing. No amount of anything But salvation and eternity is not the only benefit of being a follower of Jesus Christ. He did all of that work. He affords all of that forgiveness. But our growing faith, us having eyes that are opened to the way that God is working in the world, us having a heart for his mission on this planet to become one of his team of messengers in the local church, being a Priscilla or a Gaius or a Timothy or even a Rufus, those are spiritual benefits. Having confidence in our trials and not crippling under all of the pressure, having people around us to catch us when we fall, but also to spot us so that we don't in the first place, that's a benefit that comes from our level of discipleship. They're icing on the salvation cake, and we don't work to receive salvation, but the benefits that we receive as a follower of Christ are directly linked to the responsibilities that we share in the body of Christ. One of the best ways to get the most out of this is to actively be serving as a part of this. And when we neglect serving as a part of this, sometimes I pause when I'm going to say something scary. Um, when we neglect serving as a part of this, we kind of forfeit our right, as if we really have any, we forfeit our right to complain not getting more from this. See what I mean about saying something scary? <laughs> when we're not actively serving as a part of this, we may forfeit our right to complain about not getting more from this. Scripture's clear um, that every follower, it's in your notes, every follower of Christ well, wait, we said that a disciple was a growing follower of Jesus Christ, so we could say every disciple has a spiritual gift. And that's defined for us in Scripture. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, now there are varieties of gifts. That's the Greek word charisma, and it does designate specific gifts, but over and above that, it tells us that 
there's a variety of expressions of those gifts, and it's where we get the word charismatic. And you've met people before who just have a charismatic personality. This is, it's just their nature. Well, these gifts are just by nature. They're things that the Holy Spirit has given us. There's a variety of gifts that people could employ, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service. That's just like what we talked about when we mentioned Phoebe before because it's the Greek word diakonia. It means service or ministering. There's variety of ways to minister. There's a variety of ways to serve, but yet the same Lord that we serve. And there are varieties of activities. And this is my favorite of all because that's the Greek word energema. And if you look at it in English letters, it spells energy. There, there are varieties of energy and excitement, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Every follower of Christ has a spiritual gift that is placed there as a part of their personality and their ministry and their effort as a gift from God. And it is a strategic step in a disciple's life to utilize their giftedness for the ministry of the local church. 1 Peter 4.10, he writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace, because we all get different gifts, we all get different acts of service, we all get different levels of activity and energy, but you know what? It all comes from God, and all of it collectively is supposed to be utilized in order to create something great. I think the word strategic, on some level, means multi-purpose. Like, I know that strategic is designing something carefully in order to accomplish a desired goal. That's great. But in my mind, if something is really strategic, it's designed carefully to accomplish multiple goals, like multiple purposes. And so you using your gifts in the life of this church, it is strategic and it does accomplish multiple goals. You want to know why? Because it doesn't just grow the church. It grows you. Utilizing your gifts is a strategic step in the disciple's life because it doesn't just allow you to do that part of the definition that says inviting others to do the same. We're not just serving others so that they can grow too. It's also a strategic step in our own personal growth in our partnership class. That's what we call being a member at Rolling Hills. And some people have taken that step and some people have not. And I invite you to consider um, maybe taking that step or if you've held off, maybe the reasons why you haven't taken that step and what it would be like for you to be a part of a covenant relationship with this church. Um, Here's the deal. Um, We can go on and say over and over and over again that the benefits that I receive as a follower of Jesus Christ are directly linked to the responsibilities that I share in the body of Christ, the people who share the responsibility for the body of Christ are the people that are committed covenant partners of this church. And, and I love this text. It, you're, you're promising, you're committing. It's, it's a vow. I will protect the unity of this church body. I will share in the responsibility of my church body. I will serve the ministry of my church by developing a servant's heart, discovering my gifts and talents, and serving alongside my pastors, and I will support the testimony of my church. I signed this on September 16th, 2007, when I became a partner at Rolling Hills, expressing my desire to be a part of this body in a way that would shape who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ. In our partnership class, we talk about the vertebrae of our church like the backbone being opportunities to serve. 
Because this idea of worship one, serve one on a Sunday morning, uh, in any example, serving in the preschool ministry for an hour before you come in here at worship, and realizing that you may be standing up next to the person and having a little bit of spit up on the side of you, but that's okay because you're actively serving the body of Christ here at Rolling Hills. Or maybe it's teaching second grade or eighth grade or seniors in high school. Maybe it's greeting or carrying the umbrella in the parking lot or ushering. Whatever manner in which you serve in the life of the church, it's a strategic step not only in someone else's growth but also in yours. There are many moments when we have issues with that. Like issues with serving. One of the more common ones that we hear or that you hear that people express is busy lives. I do hope that in 2017, we as a people will stop using busy as a badge of honor. Just so busy. And we mean that as kind of a little bit of like, oh, life's just too busy, you know, feel sorry for me. Well, first of all, everybody's life is busy. And busy's not a badge of honor, and it's also not a valid excuse. I, David in the Old Testament um, expressed for us that he wasn't going to give God that which cost him nothing. And if serving has to be convenient and fit nicely into your overall schedule, it's not service. It, it ought to cost. There ought to be a trade-off. There ought to be a sacrifice. There ought to be some intentionality behind it because busy lives, it's not a, a reason not to serve. And in fact, I'll, I'll go further. I think another reason that we sometimes hear at Stare at the Floor, because it's awkward to say, is overall fatigue. Just, just fatigue. And in some ways, it's counterintuitive because I'm, I'm completely on board with all of the studies that show how overworked and overscheduled we all are. But I also read in Scripture that God says work six days and on the seventh day rest. And so then I start to wonder if our four-day work weeks and long weekends haven't done more harm than good. Our ultimately free and flexible schedules may not be giving us the rest that we want because ultimately we just fill up all of that time with loads of other things and then we end up being more tired. Um, Here's, you know, these are Nick's words and you can take them or leave them. It's really your option. When someone is like just tired, like exhausted tired, they may very well need more sleep or they might just need better sleep. And one of the foremost mentioned activities in our life that could give us better sleep is daily exercise. Well, that's the counterintuitive part. Why, if I'm super tired, going out and exerting all of this energy is actually going to make me less tired? Because exerting that energy is going to lead to better sleep, and better sleep, not quantity of sleep, is the key to being a a well-rested person. What if when we're tired, not just physically, but emotionally and also spiritually, we don't need to take a step back and do less. We might need to do more of the right things. I know that general fatigue is different than the idea of burnout. We do have to come to a point in our lives where we recognize the difference um, between burnout and fatigue because doing too much can actually become a barrier in our life towards overall health and growth. 
But we also have to be really careful and teeter not on using that word burnout too loosely as an excuse for just not wanting to reprioritize and change some important areas of our life. All of that would be great for a series on priorities, but we're talking about discipleship. And here's the deal. A growing follower of Jesus Christ is taking intentional steps towards Christ-likeness. And sometimes that means sacrificially doing more, not less. And sometimes that means for us that doing more, not less of the right things will actually lead to a person that's more rested and more worshipful and more excited than ever to be a part of this body of Christ. Here's how I know this, because in Matthew chapter 20, it describes for us the call of the believer and also the purpose of Christ. It says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Sounds to me like the Benefits of being a follower of Christ are directly linked to the responsibilities we share in the body of Christ. And then Matthew goes on to say, even as the Son of Man, Jesus, the Christ himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Using your gifts in a place of local church service, it, it grows you and it also grows others I'd go bigger, go home and say this. You can't introduce me to a person who is actively growing in their faith relationship with Jesus Christ who is not in some way serving. I think the converse is true as well. You can't introduce me to someone who is actively serving for the right reasons in the right ways who is not growing by leaps and bounds as a disciple of Jesus Christ in their faith. I want us to be a church that looks at these opportunities differently. I don't ever want you to perceive the invitation that we give you to serve and the opportunity that's provided for you to serve as a sign of desperate leadership. Now, we fully admit the moments where we sound a little frazzled. (laughs) But ultimately... The opportunities that are extended to you to serve and the invitation that we give you to serve are not for the church. They're for you. You as a believer in Jesus Christ. Last week, Jeff talked about all the ways that we take intentional steps towards faith and growing our level of relationship with Jesus Christ and maturing on to something better than when we first found Christ and were forgiven of the sins that we talked about the week before when we identify with Jesus and we grow in our faith. But that service is a strategic step. And if it's a missing one, then the growth will be stunted. Susan and I, we are better at doing the dishes and making the beds and folding laundry than our kids. I mean, far better. We don't get them to do those things because we need it done and they can do it better. We get them to do those things because it's, it, it's better for them. And later on, as grown-ups in the world, we just don't want them to not be able to function in life. As people who are designed to grow in a faith walk with Christ, it's better that opportunities are provided to serve. It's better that opportunities are provided to give. It's better that opportunities are provided to go. And it's good when those things cost. 
It's good when it takes effort. It's good when it takes reprioritizing life. It's good when it means that it costs us something. Susan and I want to be on the Romans 16 list of people that taught our kids good things. How to do stuff. How to function, not sending them off to college or the world, being people who don't know how to turn on the iron or load a front-loading laundry machine, you know? Like it's, we want them to be capable. And I, I do say the same for what it means for us as a church of Jesus Christ called to be his servants and slaves in the world. You know, the, the measure of a growing church isn't how many people are coming to know Christ. But isn't that fantastic? I mean, I think we had like 72 baptisms last year, people who have come to a saving faith and an understanding of what Christ has done for us. It's an incredible, incredible measuring stick. But the, the real measure of a growing church is not how many people are coming to Christ. I would say that the real measure of a growing church is not even how many people are growing up and becoming like Christ. But that the real measure of a healthy church is how many are sharing the responsibility of Christ's mission to make disciples. It's not enough for us to see people come to know who Jesus is and what he did. It's not enough to see us take active steps towards spiritual disciplines and to understand what this word means in Bible study and in community group activity. It's, it's really more than that. It's us seeing people take a necessary next step in their faith walk with Christ to say, I own part of this. And if I don't, who will? And not if I don't, who will? But if I don't, what will I be missing out on as a follower of Jesus Christ? Service is strategic. It doesn't just grow the church, it grows us. And we want to be a people who enjoy all of the benefits of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is directly linked to the responsibility that we share for the body, for growth, for transformation, for making disciples. This week, if you're a part of a community group, you're gonna engage that level of service even more and figure out what it means for you to discover your gifts and to use them in the context of serving in the local church. And next week, please don't miss. Like, I just... Um, I think it may be the best opportunity that we have to really understand what this series about making disciples is really about because it's multiplying our life. It's seeing somewhere, someone else know and follow Christ because of the way that we live. It's, it's not just looking back to see who is on our Romans 16 list. It's, it's imagining the end of whose Romans 16 list you'll be on. Who might be writing a letter towards the end of their life and understanding all of the ways that they've been influenced to know and follow Jesus? And they list their, of all people, their second grade small group leader or the person who led their cabin in camp at ninth grade or their small group leader or the first person that they met and, and made a friend with in the life of this church, or somebody who just took an active interest in them and said, hey, I wanna show you what it means to follow Christ and what I've been learning from this word and as a part of my local body. And, and we'll see a healthy church come from that.
when we all share the load of making disciples. Paul did not do it alone. Jeff Simmons doesn't either. We are called to be a part of that. We're commanded to be a part of that. And we've been given a gift, a Holy Spirit gift, to make us the right part of that. And I dare say there's really no excuse for not being part of that. If we want to be growing followers of Jesus Christ, taking intentional steps towards Christ's likeness and inviting others to do the same. We come to a time in our worship gathering where it's an opportunity to give. Um, it's tithes and offerings, so nobody's surprised. It's us giving financially to the work here at Rolling Hills. And did you know that what we do right now, passing a basket, is is inextricably linked to what we do in our acts of service. Because giving freely of this doesn't mean very much if we're not freely giving of this and this and this. And so we ask that as God today receives tithes and offerings, you know, the financial means by which this church does exist, that it wouldn't just be a dollar we're sticking in, but that it would also be a heart and some hands and some effort and some lives to see his work continue in the life of this church. Not only are you invited to participate with tithes and offerings, but on, on your response card today, maybe you've already written down a prayer request. Maybe you wrote down all the guest information because it, it's your first time here and, you know, welcome. But maybe you want to check the part where it says, hey, I want to know more about serving. And, and I'm willing to be contacted so that I get invited and, and plugged into a place where I can do that. Um, this offering time is not just giving a wallet. It's giving a life to the kingdom ministry that's happening as a part of our church. Hey everyone, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's Word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.